people of God in Christ, have you ever, uh, uh, or I should say, have you um, to this point in your life figured out where you fit in this world? Have you found your fit in this world? That's the question I think that gets raised for us by the story of Jacob's return to the promised land, further recorded now in Genesis 33. Uh, Jacob had left the promised land. Uh, He was sent away, in fact, by his mother and Isaac, his father, who agreed that he should make himself scarce, as we say, given his brother's murderous anger against him. Uh, But Jacob was now returning And the last time we noted Jacob's little faith, uh, much later in scripture and in history, uh, we hear uh, Jesus say to his trembling disciples, oh, you of little faith. And this address might apply to Jacob as well. On one hand, we could speak of Jacob's lack of faith, but uh, just like us, it it wasn't that he had no faith, uh, only that he had Uh, such little faith. Uh, He had the grand, uh, the unconditional promises of God for protection, and yet he was afraid, specifically of his brother Esau. And isn't that where we are? Um, With our faith in Christ, we know um, that God is fully for us, and not against us. If God did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things, uh, says uh, the uh, apostle uh, Paul. Uh, We know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, We have the promise of forgiveness, the promise of righteousness in Christ. We have the promise of resurrection and eternal life. And yet we, like Jacob, are afraid. And why? Well, because we are afraid of losing the little that we have now when there are untold riches that are stored up for us in heaven. So so this is our faith. Faith faith is based on the promises of God. Uh, Maybe you're counting on things that that God hasn't promised you. Uh, An easy life. Uh, freedom from pain and suffering? In short, would you have heaven now rather than later? That's an old uh, Puritan question, a question that the Puritan preachers would ask uh, of their congregations. Will you, will you not, uh, or will you, uh, will, will not you be satisfied except by two heavens, one now and one later? God hasn't promised us heaven now. Instead, we are even warned to expect the opposite of a comfortable life now. In this life, you will have tribulation, said our Lord Jesus. But what has God promised us in Christ? He has promised us that our sins are forgiven. He will not treat us as our sins deserve, nor repay us after our iniquities. He has promised that though we die, yet shall we live And that as we live again by the resurrection of the dead, we shall live forever. The question is whether we will be satisfied with these grand promises, instead so often inventing and assuming promises that God has not made. 
So have you, have you found your fit in this world? Uh, no one is saying that it's easy to do that. Uh, on one hand, we, we have God's word telling us that, that he created the world in the course of six days. Each day he pronounced it good, and then upon its completion, he pronounced it very good. As a result, we are called to find our place in this very good world. We are welcomed, we are called to enjoy the blessings of life and, and work, a home and family, food and drink, marriage and sexuality. Let's face it, it's a great place to live and it's a great time to be alive in this 21st century American context. On the other hand, we have God's word telling us that we are living in a world that is passing away. That's our orientation, we might, we might call it. And, and so we, we hear the call of Christ our Savior to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. So the question is, how do you find your fit in this world? Do we belong here or do we not? passage before us this morning, I think, will help us answer these questions. And here's the first point, bowing to the world. Because Genesis 33 verse 1 says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming with 400 men with him. And verse 3 adds, He himself, that is Jacob, went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother. Now it doesn't happen here at uh, Terre Haute RPC, at least not yet, that we see 400 people together in one group. Uh, although I'm sure you've seen such a number of people gathered at, at one time, but, but here Jacob is faced with uh, not just 400 people, but 400 men of his brother Esau, same brother who had previously threatened to kill him. Text doesn't say for sure, but I, I, uh, I tend to understand that Jacob must have been uh, on something of a summit, uh, a hill overlooking the, the landscape uh, ahead, um, and so that he was able to see out a, a considerable distance and, uh, and to see this, this army, that's really what it was, coming toward him, probably raising uh, quite a cloud of dust behind him. It surely must have been uh, a daunting, even terrifying thing for Jacob to see. Again, the text doesn't mention it explicitly, but surely we're meant to consider why did Esau feel that he needed 400 men to go and meet his returning brother. I think the best explanation is that uh, he didn't yet know uh, that it was Jacob returning to the promised land. It's likely that uh, all he knew was that a large caravan of people and animals were moving into the region where he lived so that Esau went to investigate and possibly to turn aside this nomadic people who were entering the domain of his prosperity. But when he found that it was his brother Jacob, 
verse 4, records that Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. But the further point is to see, once again, Jacob's fear. And, and while last time we, we kind of beat up on, on Jacob uh, quite a bit, I'm wondering if this time we, we might give Jacob some credits, or at least some more credits. Uh, after all, how, how do you deal with a world that stands opposed to you? The question makes me think of, uh, of a parable that Jesus uh, once told, the parable of the dishonest manager, uh, told in Luke 16. It's, uh, it's the story of a man who got fired for mishandling his master's property. But before he left his office, he used his position uh, to make friends with as many people as he could. Uh, He would soon be poor and and would need the sympathy and the help of those around him. So before he completely lost his position, he forgave the debt of those who owed his master money. And Jesus made this rather astounding assessment that the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And in the end, Jesus made this application. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. So, so here was Jacob seeing his brother Esau approaching with 400 men and going out, bowing down to him. And remember that that Jacob was returning to the land that God had promised him. It was promised to his grandfather Abraham, then to his father Isaac, and now to him, even though he was second born. But it was his land. Uh, we've not hesitated in the past, uh, over the past several chapters, to point out Jacob's unbelief. And, and, and we might do that again now, but, but and, and, and ask, well, why would, would Jacob bow down to his brother when, when he, Jacob, had the promise of God's favor and protection? And yet, what did he have to lose? And let's face it, Jacob had, had been gone many years. Would he now rush back in and and start claiming the promises of God without recognizing his brother's place there? And we are in a similar place in this world, if if we can see it, we can think about it. In the past, we've we've given emphasis to uh, the blessing and promise of, of Jesus that the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, here is Jacob being very meek even bowing down seven times to his brother. And and, and perhaps he did so exactly because he knew that God had promised him the land upon which his brother was then living and prospering. Shall we fault and resent the world for what they have when we know that they will not have it for long? The Apostle Paul even teaches that uh, if all a person has is this life, then let him eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow he will be dead. 
It's all part of our eternal perspective. It's it's the matter of living according to the promises of the gospel that that indeed the meek shall inherit the earth. It's it's not just a plot of ground in the Middle East uh, that will be ours in the end, but the entire earth will be ours. Do we really think about that? Do we really, have we absorbed that? Do we remember it? Do we really believe it? That the entire earth will be ours? And can we not wait for it? Maybe just a little longer, knowing that it will soon be ours. Where is our faith? Perhaps Jacob was just playing politics, like we said last time. But then again, maybe he was actually banking on the on the promises of God. This was his land that he was returning to. God had promised as much. Maybe he had come to grips with that. Perhaps he had come to see the inevitability of God's promises. There's an old saying that you, uh, you just can't keep a good man down. But whether that's completely true or not, this much is true for sure. You can't keep a good God from doing what he has promised to do. And if what he has promised us in Christ is to bless us, then all we can do is count on it. All you can do is get ready for it. It's coming. It's coming by the coming of Christ. Maybe we don't know when, but it's coming. And it will happen all in due time. But in the meantime, we, we need to deal with the force of common grace. The second point is the force of common grace. So, so Jacob went out ahead of his entourage, bowing himself seven times to the ground before his brother Esau. Esau, last time we, we saw that he sent his wives and children and servants ahead of him while he stayed behind to wrestle with God in his unbelief and even to prevail against God. Now Jacob is out in front and and good for him. And that's one reason to give him credit for bowing low before his brother. But but what he soon found out was that his brother wasn't impressed by his gifts. Uh, The bribe, if we want to call it that, wasn't even necessary. His brother fell on his neck, kissed him and wept. And the next thing Esau did was to say, what in the world? Verse 8 records that Esau asked, what do, you, what do you mean by all this company that, that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in your sight, in the sight of, of in your sight. Uh, but Esau answered, I have enough. Uh, keep what you have for yourself. In the end, Esau agreed to accept the gift, but it had to be... Uh, Somewhat deflating for Jacob. You ever been really excited about giving somebody a gift? When you finally do, they say thank you and and uh, and move on. It's like, aren't you gonna? Aren't you? Aren't you more excited? How come you're not as excited about the gift as as I am? Well, it's almost like hearing Esau say, uh, "Well, okay, I'll I'll play along here. I'll I'll accept your gift." Uh, I'll add these few animals to my already substantial flocks. 
But the gift was clearly unnecessary, as we said before, not only because Jacob was returning under the blessing of God, but also because God had blessed Esau in Jacob's absence. What do we make of this? It's it's an example of God's common grace. The the point is that you don't have to be a Christian to uh, receive certain blessings from God. Uh, You can be a successful farmer even while standing outside of the covenant of grace, as Esau did. As Jesus said uh, in Matthew 5, 45 of our our Father in heaven, that he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And it's not even enough to say that this is how you usually hear it. God sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's true, but it's not even enough to say that because what Jesus actually says is that your Father in heaven sends rain on the just and the unjust. The significance of that uh, is this. Uh, Imagine if your earthly father said uh, no to your request, while you also found out that uh, he was giving gifts to people who were not even part of your family. Dad, what are you doing? You might say, am I not your child? Do you not love me? Why do you say no to me, but you give gifts to others? who are not even your children, not even your family. Well, that's kind of a far-fetched illustration when it comes to earthly fathers, but but might might that be exactly our experience with with our Heavenly Father? Why do the wicked prosper in this world? Have you ever been bothered by that? But we hear the question in, in one form or another, we hear it throughout Scripture, and the definitive answer is given in, uh, in Psalm 37, verses 1 and 2, where it says, fret not yourself. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And here's the reason. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. When we see God blessing the wicked, what we are really seeing, once again, is the goodness of God's creation. Uh, We are seeing the wicked enjoying what God created for them. Do we understand this? Here is the common grace of God, that, that even though mankind is in full rebellion against God, even though they deny that God is their creator and that their blessings come from him, yet he continues to bless them. He continues to sustain their lives. It's like a business owner who uh, discovers that... Uh, um, One of his employees is stealing from him, but uh, since he's not really being hurt by it, he he lets it go on. And each time his employee steals from him, he records it. And he does so so that when he finally gets around to firing this, this miserable employee, then he has all the evidence he needs and more. This is what God is doing even to this day, by sending rain 
on the just and the unjust. The body of evidence is growing against the wicked. And we don't take delight in this, but this is what this is the understanding that God's word would give us that the body of evidence is growing against the wicked. And the weight of it in the end will be crushing. So that the righteous, starting with the angels, but including the, the people of God saved by grace, will say, ah, finally, finally there is justice on the earth in the form of the long-awaited judgment of God upon the wicked. Even now, the angels in heaven and the church triumphant in heaven are crying out, how long, Lord? How, how long can this go on? How long before you judge the nations? Come, Lord Jesus, with your recompense. Right the wrong being committed on this earth and deliver the earth to your son and through your son to those whom he has saved. Those who have repented even as they are trusting him for the righteousness that saves them. So we come to another in the meantime. In the meantime, where do we fit in this world? Next, we see Jacob separating himself from Esau. The next point is separation from the world. Because after the the tender reunion that Jacob had with Esau, uh, Jacob didn't continue the journey according to Esau's plan. Esau said, let me leave you with some of the people who are with me. Uh, Now it was time for uh, Jacob to refuse Esau's gift, his offer of help uh, in finishing the journey. But but Jacob answered, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So so already we see Jacob's separation from Esau. We see a little bit more, don't we, here of Jacob, the deceiver, not being completely honest with his brother. He sought to be a blessing to Esau by adding to Esau's flocks, and Esau accepted. Now Esau would be a blessing to Jacob by helping him finish finish the long journey of his return. But Jacob says, what need is there? So Esau departs, verse 17 records. Then Jacob changed course, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths. For his livestock, he didn't go to Seir. And as the text tells us that Succoth means booths, which is to say temporary dwellings. Again, I think we can see Jacob's faith. Not only was he separating himself from his brother Esau, it would seem that Jacob was also accepting the fact he's returning to the promised land but he's taking up the position of a sojourner in his own land. Again, it was his land. God had promised it to him. But instead of thinking to claim Esau's well-built houses as his own, instead of intermingling with Esau and his descendants, Jacob separates. And he does so to live in booths. I think it, I think. It's like long-term camping. Some of you are campers. Others of you want nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm maybe in the middle because I like to camp. 
but uh, I, I seem to enjoy it for only a few days. And then I need to get back into a house, a permanent dwelling. And we might remember that uh, one of the three main feasts of Israel each year was the Feast of Booths. Well, once a year, Israel went camping. They lived in booths or tents for a week in order to remember the time before, uh, before Israel came into the Promised Land. And that's really a, a picture for us as well, to be reminded that we are sojourners in this land. The old gospel song is true. Uh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Song represents uh, the right orientation, we might say. It, what it might be lacking is an understanding of that promise. The meek shall inherit, not something way up beyond the blue, the meek shall inherit to the earth. In other words, our treasure is, is not beyond the blue, up in the sky, somewhere other than this world. No, this world, this earth will be our eternal home. And while that sounds for us uh, the call to meekness, it also sounds the call to separate. We must live, we must not live as the Gentiles do, said our Lord Jesus. We must not live desperately grabbing and hoarding the stuff of this world. We must not make covenant with this world. Not by marriage and uh, often not by business partnerships. Any relationship that that would become a snare for us and draw us back into the ways of the world from which we have separated. So the challenge of faith is, uh, is whether we are truly waiting upon the promises of God in Christ. Are we willing, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be sojourners in this world Hebrews 11, verse 16, even makes it clear that, that all the Old Testament characters uh, in the story of redemption were really desiring a better country, it says. Not even just the physical promised land of the Old Testament, but a, a better country that is a heavenly one. And again, that doesn't mean somewhere beyond the blue, but that this earth will one day be emptied of all sin and evil, and it will be given to those who belong to Christ and who are waiting for the reward that he has earned for us. So finally and briefly, buying into the world. Consider the significance of Jacob buying land in the promised land. Verse 19 records and from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought uh, for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land which he had pitched, on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, meaning God, the God of Israel. So do we fit in this world? We absolutely do. This is God's good creation. Uh, the food and drink are good, so let us enjoy enjoy it as we give thanks to God. The relationships are good. Let us, let us pursue friendship. Let us get married and have a family. Uh, 
There is opportunity for fruitful, enjoyable labor. Let us work hard and reap the fruit of the land. But whenever we sign a lease on an apartment or, or buy property, may, may this question come to our minds. Why do I have to buy or otherwise pay for what is already mine? The answer is that it's ours by promise. But because God's word is sure, it's no less ours by promise than if we possessed it already today. How do we fit in this world? There are all kinds of ways to, that we can get it wrong. But here is the importance of the teaching of Scripture that by God's word, we are given to understand what's, what's really real, what's really the case what God's will is for us, his people in Christ. And the call to faith is, is, is the call to wait. We talked about this. But to wait, being sure of what is taught in Scripture. We live now in a good creation, a beautiful world. But we live also in a world that is passing away. It will not last. And we live according to the promise of God. I'll say it one more time. The promise of God that the meek shall inherit the earth. Amen. Please pray with me. What a good and glorious God you are, our Father in heaven, and how richly you have blessed us in Christ. Grant that we would live by faith, that uh, Jacob's life and faith would uh, teach us both in the negative and in the positive, what kind of faith we must have and what kind of life you call us to live. This is your good creation. We thank you for it. May we enjoy it, giving thanks to you. But we may we also recognize that that. Uh, it will not last, and that our true treasure must be Christ himself in heaven and all that is promised us in him as we await the great day of his return in glory. In his name we pray. Amen.